I've had uh, many highlights of ordained ministry in what I hope is only about halfway through. <laughs> uh, but I was talking about uh, a particular experience just last week with some new priests in England who I'd never met before. This highlight for ordained ministry for me happened in summer of 2012. Um, a couple had been together for 10 years and they had served as foster parents for a number of children. Um, they felt called to have children, to, to raise a family, and yet it seemed that various circumstances prevented that again and again. Um, and so they went the route of, of fostering various children in the social services system in Washington, D.C. Um, and several times, I think three different occasions, um, they had a child through foster care and began the early stages of adoption. And then something fell through. Something happened. Well, finally, they had... Um, Two children uh, under foster care, uh, a little boy who was, who was initially four, but then six in 2012, and a little girl who was three. They were siblings, and so it was a rare and good thing that they could find um, a family to be adopted into. Uh, the mother, the birth mother, is still living and was supportive and offered her encouragement and simply knew that she was in no, in no situation to raise these children. So it seemed like the perfect situation. The social services was behind it and things were moving forward um, slowly, slowly, slowly as things do. Well, then the couple got a call from the, the social worker who said, um, I have some interesting news. There's a third child. <laughs> it turns out there was a two-year-old little girl that the mother had not told the social services about. And this little girl was malnourished and uh, had some, um, some, uh, some issues going on. Uh, but the couple said, no, 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 we'd love to have her as well. And so what was going to be the adoption of two siblings turned into the adoption of three and so on this Thursday in summer of 2012, probably about 50 or 60 of us gathered in family court, downtown Washington, and we watched as the judge signed the final documents, uh, uh, making the adoption of these three little ones uh, official. Uh, we cheered. Um, the judge closed down the courtroom and followed us as we went a few blocks away to a restaurant. And in the restaurant, we did two things after having a few drinks to celebrate the day. We had a wedding, and then we had the Thanksgiving for an adoption. The, the couple happened to be two men, and so until much earlier, they weren't allowed to get married. But, so we were allowed to marry them there, and then we did the prayer book's service for the Thanksgiving of an adoption, uh, with the six-year-old holding the prayer book for us while we did it. Um, I think about that situation, that occasion, partly because I told the story last week with some people, um, but also when I hear this gospel of the prodigal, um, the story can sound so familiar at so many levels. Uh, we often are, are drawn to identify with one character or the other, um, 
But especially this year, um, something about this story makes me focus on the love of the parent. And I think about those parents and other parents I've known who have, have longed for a child, who have prayed and hoped and done everything they can to, to either have a child of their own or to adopt a child or to, to be in the life of a child. Um, And I imagine that sort of intensity of of purpose and hope and prayer and longing and expectation then magnified a thousandfold. And we begin to approach that dynamic of the parent in today's gospel. That parent who sees the child coming and runs out of the house to meet the child and bring them home. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. It's a new day. I think this gospel invites each of us to just think for a moment. Do we have any idea how much God loves us? How much God has always wanted us to be? How much God longs for us to live in God's presence? That's what this gospel is about. It's about God's searching, seeking love. Love that disregards custom or protocol or cultural expectation or institutional requirements. Love that disrupts and makes a new world. Love that moves toward each one of us. Many people in and out of the church know this story of the prodigal extremely well. People can relate to the younger uh, sibling, the younger son or daughter, the one who who needs to leave home and needs to make their mark and needs to uh, stir up things a bit. But then in that wonderful Greek term, comes to oneself, returns to oneself, It's from that sense that we get the whole idea of conversion. It's a turning to God, but it's also a returning to ourself, to our best self, to our original self in the mind of God. One could also perhaps step easily into the story and understand something of the older sibling. Some of us might relate to the one who has, has done what was expected of us. We've followed the rules. And so it's hard for us to watch as others come to the party late and get all the goods. <laughs> I love to notice in this story how with the elder sibling, uh, there's just more than a touch of envy, I think. He points out, he points out that the younger brother has spent time with prostitutes. So we haven't been told that until now. Perhaps that's the elder brother's wishful thinking. His own thinking about what he would have done had he run away. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, once thanked God that in his youth he had escaped all the more grievous sins, that he had not been one of the young corruptors, as he put it. But then his honesty comes through in a way that I think is is really telling. He says that the truth to the matter is that he didn't sin more when he was young because of what he calls a kind of sacred cowardice. He didn't have the nerve. (laughs) 
And so it wasn't his goodness that kept him out of trouble. It was the fear of the consequences, which is a very different thing. I wonder how often we stop to wonder what trouble we might have got into if there really were no consequences. Today's gospel can keep us occupied in that story of do we relate to the younger one or the older one or the the parent who who receives. Um, But for us on the other side of the resurrection, the story really is in a different context. Jesus tells the story that while the younger son was yet at a distance, the parent sees him and has compassion and runs and embraces him and kisses him. And then it's party time. Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf, let us eat and make merry. For the child that was dead is now alive. What was lost is now found. Just as God's conversation is built in deep within us, even before we recognize it as prayer, God's love is coming towards us through time and space, even before we're aware of it. God's mercy is the context in which we can say we're sorry. God's mercy comes first, and then it's in the light of God's love that we have the confidence and the assurance to unburden ourselves of all that separates us from others and from God. Whether we perhaps have acted a little like the younger one in the story or the elder one or, or some mixture of the two, the truth is that we have done our part to cause separation from God, to cause separation from other people, um, to cause separation from our own selves, our deepest and truest selves. As we say in the great prayers of the church, we have each of us sinned in thought, word, and deed, sometimes by what we do and often by what we left undone. But God is always and forever seeking us, loving us from afar, hoping and praying for us to return. I come back again and again to an image used by the great preacher and theologian Austin Ferrer. Austin Ferrer, in a sermon, talks about God's forgiveness. And he pictures it in this way. Ferrer writes, God forgives me with the compassion of his eyes. But my back is turned to God. I've been told that God forgives me, but I will not turn and have the forgiveness, even though I feel the eyes on my back. Yet God forgives me. God forgives me, for God takes my head between his hands and turns my face to his and makes me smile at him. And though I struggle and hurt those hands, for they're human, though divine, human and scarred with nails, though I hurt those hands, they do not let me go until God has smiled me into smiling. And that is the forgiveness of God. God longs to smile us into smiling. That's what St. Paul is writing about to the Corinthians. He's, He's trying to describe a new world order, what it feels like 
when we turn to God in humility and honesty and we receive the fullness of God's love. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there's a brand new creation. Everything old has passed away and see, everything has become new. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting the message of reconciliation to us, to all of us. In this season of Lent and always, may we be alert to the love of God, which hopes and prays that God would share God's life with us. May we receive God's mercy and love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.